0: Hello everybody and welcome to Live a Little, this crazy little podcast about everything and nothing. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, joined as always by Greg Graber, educator and mindfulness guru here at the Pranica Media World Galactic Headquarters. And uh, we are drinking uh, a Scotch Ale from Memphis Made. So there we go. Very and tasty. It's very, very, very ambery. And um, we're drinking this in honor of Stephen Glass, who is the manager of Memphis 901 FC, in honor of him and his lovely wife, Carla, who have been great, great friends. And um, got a standing invitation to go over there and, and hike in Scotland. And Carla's been sending these amazing images of the uh, wild Scottish uh, territory, which I. I Where are we going?
1: <laughs> We got an invitation, or you? No, I got an invitation. Okay. No. Right, here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> well, After your text to me, yeah. I, as I requested to pivot a little bit on the time. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, you weren't too happy with that. So no, really, I, I'm not. Just I was. Doing it for I, my I was. I was being. I'm facetious. doing it for you, though. We're working on your time flexibility as well. Yes. I've got a, a good friend who I work with in Houston, Ryan. I've mentioned him before. Mm-hmm. Every time we have a session set up he'll text me in advance and say, can we go early? <laughs> and I always tell him no. I think it's important to draw boundaries. Right, right. Like what you were trying to do with me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, last time I had something that I needed to do, and I said, we're, let's go early today. He got bent out of shape. I said, well, you love to go early, <laughs> so we're going to go early. So yeah. he's like, what, are you watching Arsenal? Which. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow, What? What? and what, what a win so uh, yeah yeah four four three that was that was fantastic no I, I was I was just giving you a hard time because I I really only had one other thing scheduled today I got my eyes checked and and happily the eyes remain healthy and in, in need of contacts. but uh, other than that it's it's uh, it's fine well this is episode 17 and we are going to talk about what's happening in the world in our lives we've got some recommendations I, I I'm assuming as Greg takes another sip of of um, this Scottish ale that that you have grievances. I know I have one. I do. Okay. I always
1: have a few, but I can pare it
0: down you, you limit, if I need you, to. You limit yourself. I try to. Um okay, well here's I, I want to start off with something about podcasting in general. Uh talking about what's happening. Um, you know, the Grizzlies have won, you know, a couple of games on the road, won two of the last three out on the road, won last night in Detroit. That was fantastic. Um, I caught a clip of the Gary Parish show on Grind City Media, and Gary said something to the effect he was he was kind of I, I don't know what other podcasts they were talking about may have been ours for all I know but he Better said not have been bad Gary's a friend so. well Gary's a friend of mine too but he says well you know every white guy in America has a podcast
1: and why does it always have to be
0: that right I don't know I, I don't know you
1: about. At Arsenal, watching the game, right? right? the girls said, oh, I love you and Pete, but the world doesn't need another podcast of two old white guys.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's But the the thing of it is, and, you know, and Gary was saying, well, why would anybody want to do this? Why would anybody feel the need to start a podcast? He says, I have a podcast, but because CBS Sports asked me to do it and they pay me to do it.
1: So you only do things of intrinsic value or for your well-being that you get paid for, something that you enjoy? That's interesting.
0: It, it, it is an interesting take, but... I have a theory. Would you like to hear my theory? I'm getting fired up already, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there, there was a book written in 2000 called Bowling Alone. And it was written by a, uh, a sociologist and a political scientist who basically was uh, talking about the old days, uh, the old days like in the 50s. Uh, it was written uh, by Robert Putnam. And it developed from a 1995 essay called Bowling Alone, America's Declining Social Capital. And what he was talking about is that our social networks are basically fraying, if not totally falling apart. And the example and the reason that the essay and then the book was called Bowling Alone was because when you talk about the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, there were so many social structures in place, one of which, if you lived in the upper Midwest, as I did, Bowling leagues were a massive thing. I was in a junior league for like four years. And so every Saturday morning, you would go and you'd roll three games at Western Lanes, and you would do this from like October to April. And it was a commitment that you were there every Saturday morning, whether it was eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whatever the time was. And his point is, we don't do that anymore. Bowling leagues, for example, are not nearly as prevalent as they have been. Or you think about uh, the trends in church-going because attendance. We're, we're all looking at
1: screens now. We're isolated, sort well, of in a solitary existence.
0: Exactly. And of course, that's the great irony. When we should be the most connected, we are, but in a virtual sense rather than an in-person sense. And what the author was saying in this is that when we lose this, we lose our civic engagement. And I think that's kind of where we are at. Now, to bring me back to my point about Gary and having podcasts, whether it's two white guys or two whatever, because there was also the guy uh, on social media that said, well, podcasts are just an excuse for guys to talk to each other. We've said that before. Exactly. Which is perfectly fine because now it is a different type of community. Okay. And so if us sitting across from a table from each other, drinking a beer and talking about the the stuff that's going on in our lives. That's not a bad thing. It is just a different social interaction in a society where social structures have basically gone away and we see how our society has, I don't want to say fallen apart. I think that's too strong, but our society is radically different now for us as men in our 50s as opposed to what our society was in our 20s. So I would say Gary Parish, why do all these white guys have uh, podcasts? Yeah, maybe it is just to talk to each other and to just have some social interaction and some social structure. I'll go and, out uh, on a
1: ledge here. I would say it's not just white guys. No, no, I would, I would
0: say that. I, I,
1: I but would agree with. I you. love Gary. Great individual. Uh, like to talk to him, but I don't feel like one. We, I feel like you're justifying this. This really struck a nerve with you. But I do think that is one aspect. All kidding aside, the social connection. But for me too, the ability to create, I love to create things like this. I get a big kick out of it. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really cool that we have listeners from all over the world. It's not like we're trying to take anyone's podcast air or space, anything like that. It's just, it's something that we enjoy uh, and we get a kick out of and whether other people like it or not it. Does it really matter? No, no. It's just, we're, it we're, is what it is. Yeah, we're
0: having a good time with it. And you touch on a really good point of the fact that it, there, is something, there is always something joyful in creating anything, which, which is kind of fun. I'm going to pivot from that to something that is uh, very, very superficial. But I have a mystery that needs to be solved. Came back uh, last night from the uh, game in Detroit, and there's a package on the front door, and it says cooking.com gift package. And I open it up, and it is a um, it's a gift bag that basically has the tools to turn your grill into a smoker. So there are wood chips and, and different things in there. It's only one problem. I don't know who sent it. Merry Christmas, my friend. Oh, you did?
1: No, not really. Oh. But I sh- if I was a liar, I <laughs> oh, gotten, no. you could have gotten away gotten with some it. Bonus points right. yeah. I, I
0: checked with a couple of the usual suspects, and I said, "Did you send me this?" There's no gift card. And, I, and the first three people I asked, like, "No, not us." So I have no idea who sent this to me. Whoever did, thank you very much. Hopefully I will figure out who it is at some point. But yeah, that was, that was really crazy. Um,
1: I'm not that creative to, or thoughtful to think of something of that nature,
0: <laughs> but I, it sounds like a nice gift. It, it does sound like a nice gift. I just like to know who to thank for it. Um, last thing I'm just going to touch on because everybody else has, you know, all the white guys with podcasts, Gary, I'm going to touch on it too. Hope you don't mind. You probably don't even listen to this podcast, anyway.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm him, though, so he listens to this one. And I, like, then I'm going to ask him to come speak to my students. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So. I, and I, I mean, no, I, I I like Gary Parish, and I, he's he, the best. Yeah, he's he, a great he, guy. Yeah, he, he 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 was just riffing on the fact that it is true that a lot of people have podcasts. There is no lie there. There's no lie there. There's no lie there. Um, Florida State and uh, and the oh. college football playoff. Oh this what what bothers me about this, and look, I, I had a chance to work with Mike Norvell over a couple of football seasons, did a couple of uh, did a couple of uh, University of Memphis football games, and and I, I enjoyed my interactions with Mike Norvell. The bottom line is the committee decided to play odds makers, like, well, we think that Alabama has a better chance of winning the national championship than Florida State. Yeah, but Florida State won all their games.
1: And bringing in money, it's about that as well.
0: It is about that as well. And so,
1: You know, Brock Glenn, one of my students, mm -hmm. I worked with him. He was really into this mental performance stuff, and that's going to be part of my mindful moment, so I'm glad you brought this up.
0: Yeah, so I am very, very disappointed. Um, College football just really bothers me now, not only the fact that they screwed up the playoff, although if, if I'm being totally honest with myself, I think Alabama has as good a chance as anybody to win the whole thing, anyway.
1: But it's not, to your point, it's not about playing odds makers and who you right. think is going to play better, or give a better game. It's who earned it. It should be right,
0: right. And I think the I think the criteria got very, very muddled. And I know that that committee walked out of there going like, regardless of what we do, um, I, th- I think even if if Florida State had gotten in, I think there still would have there would have been pushback, not nearly as much as there was, given the fact that Alabama made it in Florida state did not but the whole transfer portal thing is just crazy like the the kid McCord who was a starting quarterback for Ohio State into the transfer portal wouldn't you want to stay with a great program like where else are you going to go well, i told you last week i work with some kids and they're like yeah i'm not getting
1: playing time for college basketball i yeah. think i'm going to hit the portal in the spring i'm like it's Back then, it's November. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, Season I, just started. Yeah, I don't I don't it's understand. It's that instant gratification culture that we live in.
0: Yeah, you know, With, without any regard for the academic institution that you are going to yeah, underline the word academic. Um, so anyway, that that's kind of what's top of mind for me. I've got a couple things on top of the mind.
1: A couple shout-outs first. I'd like to thank Dr. Drew Hampton, who is a psychology professor at Christian Brothers University, came out to Lausanne the other day on Tuesday and gave a really well-received talk to some of our upper school students on AI and ethics. Mm-hmm. We got into this right. a mm-hmm. bit last week. Outstanding. Um, also, Michael Zellner, who's a big fan and right. friend of ours, mm-hmm. always repost uh, about our Two White Guy podcast, Grumpy Old Men that we do. <laughs> uh, Michael has a really good video podcast, another white man with a podcast. Called Think Big with Michael Zellner, mm-hmm. highly
0: recommend it. Okay, absolutely. And we've both been guests on it. Michael's wonderful, yes. good friend. Yes.
1: Other thing, I came across something really cool. I don't know where to fit this in our programming, Pete. So I'll do it right off mm-hmm. the top. I reposted um, a tweet, or is it called an X now? I don't know. What Whatever it's called. it is on that social media platform. Also stuck it on Facebook and Instagram, and it was really interesting to me. So I don't, I don't know the original cinder of it because I had to crop it down to get it all in, but it, it said breaking. Ric Flair told Shannon Sharp that he was kidnapped by child traffickers at birth and never got the chance to meet his real parents. Ric Flair's adoption was arranged by the Tennessee Children's Home Society as part of Georgia Tan, her baby kidnapping operation. Many people didn't know it because it was hidden from history But it's a fact that Georgia Tan placed over 5,000 children all over the country, many of them to Jewish families in New York and to stars in California. Remember the book and movie, Mommy Dearest? Right, right. About Joan Crawford's Mm -hmm. adopted daughter, Christina. She was a Georgia Tan baby. Said birth certificates were rewritten to make the children's background fit the desires of prospective parents. This included taking Christian children and giving them Jewish sounding names. Other records were dispo- destroyed to cover the tracks of the orphanage in their criminal acts. My father was a Georgia tan baby. Wow. Th- isn't that mind-blowing? Mm-hmm. So I posted this, and two days ago, I was contacted by a casting agent who's doing a documentary on this and wants to talk about the effect that this had on my family. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That and is there's it. been it's said it's a well-hidden secret but there have been several movies over the years. I think the original one uh, starred Mary Tyler Moore. I think mm-hmm. HBO may have done a documentary and
0: there's there's been a couple of books on it. Wow.
1: Interesting. Happened right here in Memphis. So
0: that is that is amazing. Speaking speaking of uh, the Jewish faith Happy Hanukkah to yeah, all who to observe and listeners. celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, recommendations. Uh, I got a couple for you. Uh, I'm always a big fan of the Tennessee Shakespeare Company. There, right now, they are running The Importance of Being Earnest, which is open to rave reviews uh, over at their uh, performance space uh, off Trinity Road. Uh, that is going on, I think, for the next couple of weekends. And I'm really excited to see – I'm actually going to see it this weekend um, – but I'm on the board of TSC, and we brought in uh, eight apprentice actors, and so now we can do like some of these. Lar- they can do some teaching, and then they learn, and then they perform in um, in various productions. And it, uh, just reading the comments from people that have been there, it, it's have been has been very very well received. And then I know Kelly English is your guy, right? Love Kelly. Um, it just had had been. You know, seeing him on social media about, you know, the Fino's little marketplace mm-hmm. over there. Um, He's got one in Germantown. Though. Right. That's, yeah. That, yeah, that's the one. It, it, it used to be the old Papa Murphy's until Papa Murphy's went out of business. Much to my chagrin. I was a big Papa Murphy's fan. But uh, I went there, and for the first time, I got a sandwich, the Fino Letta. Mm, how good is that bread, by the way? The bread is outstanding. So for those of you, and they have they have a variety of sandwiches, but the Finoletta is essentially their sub styled take on a muffaletta, and it, it was fantastic. I ordered a small one. I don't know what a, I would a large would probably feed a family of four if, if basing it off what the small was, but it was an absolutely fantastic sandwich. So uh, if you go to any of the Finos uh yeah the finoletta great maybe a little heavy on the on the jardinera so there's there's a real kick to it but i'm i'm a big fan of muffalettas and um the bread's fantastic. Like I said, it's this is a basically it's a muffaletta, but in a in a submarine sandwich type form. Kelly's the real deal. He's from New Orleans, so he mm-hmm. does
1: he knows how to do a muffaletta.
0: I yeah. Mean. Yeah. I need to I need to figure out a Tuesday night because I love oysters. I need to go we need over, to do that. Need to go to, it's gonna be
1: a a few Tuesday nights probably with our travel schedule. Yeah, you yeah.
0: Ex- exactly, exactly. What else you got going on as far as recommendations? So When I'm in town,
1: speaking of Tuesday nights, the first Tuesday of every month at 6 o'clock in the concourse, the Crosstown concourse, we were talking a couple episodes ago about what a cool building this Mm -hmm. is. On the second floor, there's a really neat venue called the Green Room. Next to it is a little bar called the Art Bar. So before the program starts at 6, I'll go and have a glass of red wine, then I'll go into the Green Room for what's called the Mystic. Have you seen this advertised? I have not. It's, it's not really a religious thing. It's sort of a, a spiritual discussion with really good music. There is a panel every month comprised of noted, well-respected theologians. It's Rabbi Micah Greenstein, and it's the pastors. It's uh, Dr. Scott Morris, who's also an MD. He's over church health. There is Lillian Lammers. I believe she's at First Presbyterian Church downtown, and Joshua Nissan, I think is how you pronounce his last name, he's a pastor at Church Health, they have a topic every month where they discuss it, deliberate, and then there's great music uh, by Kirk Whalum, usually, or Dr. Ashley Davis, Um, and it's just a neat mix of people, discussion, thought, maybe a bit of spirituality, and uh, wonderful music. Highly recommend going to
0: it. Cool. Well, so there, there you go. There's another one of our social networks that uh, we ought to, uh, we ought to take care of. Um, grievances. <clears throat> Clear my throat. It's going to be a good one. I, you know, I, I'd like to think it's a good one. Um, I need to pull it up on my phone here. Um, you know, Otis Sanford, right? Yeah. Great, great journalism person here. Respect him in Memphis. Respect him absolutely. Just to the moon and back. Um, he had an article in today's Daily Memphian, and he was talking about crime, and it was a wide ranging and very well done article. Um, you know, he, and, and I would just recommend that you read the entire article from the Daily Memphian, but there's something here that, you know, really, really cuts to the heart of it. And he's talking about, okay, why is there so much crime in Memphis, particularly the smash and grab? Um, variety. And he said, you know, sometimes it's people coming from dysfunctional families. They're not taught at an early age moral lessons of right and wrong. Most have very little education for them. Getting what they want means doing what's necessary. This is, to me, this is the crux of the article by Otis Sanford. But allow me to offer something else that is not an excuse, just a reason. Our society particularly our political system, has noticeably degenerated to the point where lying, cheating, and exploiting others are often excused, if not overlooked, and rewarded. We live in a society where the cliche about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor is not a fable, it's a reality, and the COVID-19 pandemic is exhibit A. According to a study conducted by inequality.org an arm of the Washington-based think tank, the Institute for Policy Studies, the wealth of U.S. billionaires grew more than 70%. Not seven, not 17, 77 0% from the start of the pandemic in March 2020 to October 2021. He uses Elon Musk as an example. He's gone from 25 billion to 255 billion. And it says Otis continues this as the price of everyday goods and services skyrocketed during the pandemic and millions of ordinary Americans experienced salary cuts or lost their jobs entirely. More recently, as workers for the big three automakers were on strike seeking higher wages, General Motors chair and CEO Mary Barra bristled at and deflected questions about her nearly $30 million annual salary. Whew. Pause for my editorial comment here. Capitalism is not a perfect system. It's a good system. I will always defend your right to make a profit. I will take issue with your belief that you can make an obscene profit off of off of poor people. Otis continues, but it is a national politics where lying and outright criminality are being ignored by almost half the U.S. population. And when you think of guys like George Santos, who is now doing cameos for people after being expelled from Congress. Did
1: you see he's making more money on Cameo than he was his salary as a congressman? I
0: know. I need to charge more. I just did a Cameo. You're on Cameo? With, yeah, I'm on Cameo. You,
1: you need to plug it more.
0: I Yeah, I—, I People, people. Self
1: promotion. We need to step that up. <laughs> Probably. I was best self promoter in the Memphis Flyer 2001. You had
0: no idea, did you? No idea. I don't no do idea. It as much anymore. Man. But to Otis's point, criminality is increasing everywhere, and part of it is we see these people who are in leadership positions, like George Santos, and you can find others that lying, cheating, stealing. It's what you do. Um, and then also the fact that CEOs are just raking in incredible sums of money that production costs haven't gone up. COVID has been, you know, basically, it's not a pandemic anyway. People can still get COVID, but it's, it's not certainly pandemic where you're buying toilet paper off the, the back of a, a freight car somewhere. Um, and, and yet prices continue to, you know, kind of go along. The other thing too is what's what's also crazy and this is kind of a sidebar to this is did you see I, there was a TikToker that had something about the $16 hamburger at, at McDonald's
1: No but that's like an Uber Eats hamburger I mean
0: it's, Well well what happened was this guy was at a store in Idaho and they were running like some like three uh, beef patties and you know bacon and cheese and everything and it was like a one off like special burger and so by the time he got the burger and he got the soda and the fries and everything the bill was like sixteen dollars and so a tiktoker goes out there and then puts it out there that hey if you go to mcdonald's a burger is going to cost you sixteen dollars you get
1: basically you're getting three burgers if there's three patties and you know the bacon of course it's sixteen dollars
0: of course it is but 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 see here's the issue because of the way social media is now a tiktoker can go and say sixteen you know a big mac is sixteen bucks at mcdonald's and people don't Take issue with that they don't think to investigate it or they don't go through the drive-through themselves and they're going oh the economy's going to hell in a handbasket because now hamburger at mcdonald's is sixteen dollars bullshit it's not
1: social media is the downfall of western civilization it's, we're on it i love it but it's just it's dummied us down it's a idiocracy and you're absolutely right yeah um you know and and
0: the problem the, but the bigger problem greg is people are going to make their decisions on who to vote for for government office based on tiktok and that's scary.
1: Yeah. Did they blame the Jewish people for the $16 hamburger? Was uh, that part of it too? No, that, no,
0: no. And that, that, that's another thing. That's the next step. Maybe. As, 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 we talk, as we talk about Hanukkah and the Festival of Lights, uh, you're Jewish, I'm Catholic, two most persecuted <laughs> religious traditions in the world. The anti-Semitism, it, it, it really bothers me. I just, it, yeah. And I, I reach out to all my Jewish friends as often as I can and say, hey, I, you know, are you safe? Are you doing okay? Because it, it's it's just ridiculous.
1: That's uh, crazy. It's absolutely crazy.
0: So uh, shout out to Otis Sanford. Like I said, go read the entire article. It is it is exceptionally well written. And His work
1: uh, is always stellar.
0: Yeah, yeah. So shout out Otis Sanford.
1: My grievance. So it was interesting. Last week... You talked about we were bagging on how bad Sports Illustrated has gotten. I think they did an AI written
0: story or stories. Yeah, or allegedly saying? they were product reviews, but. So this
1: takes it to the next step. Deion Sanders wins SI Sportsman of the Year after going four and eight. So there, my grievance isn't about Sports Illustrated, but this kind of ties into it. It's absolutely ridiculous. Time Magazine got it right. Their athlete of the year is. Messy. I think that's fair. Won the World Cup. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But I think journalism—not to sound like our friend Gary complaining (laughs) about podcasters—but journalism in general now it's all about the clicks. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Otis Stanford because that's an example of a real journalist, someone who went to school for journalism, someone that excels in their craft has integrity. I was thinking about it with the passing of Henry Kissinger. You can think or say whatever you want about him. He's a good person. He's a bad person. He did some unethical things. But some of the headlines that I saw were so disrespectful and lacked decorum of someone who passed away. Particularly, Pete, I'm thinking about the Rolling Stone headline and article said something to the effect, Henry Kissinger is finally dead. It's like what? What is that? Is that a real journal? And they were proud about it. They, right. They retweeted it a bunch of times. Then I saw an obituary. You know who the Pogues are? Or yeah. Were mm-hmm. Irish Irish rock band. band really mm-hmm. good? Shane McGowan, their lead singer, passed away. He'd been ill. And I'm looking in the Guardian. I should have known better. First of all, to look at the Guardian. But you you think that's a legitimate rag, right? You'd think, even though that's somewhat of an oxymoron. The first line of the obituary was so disrespectful. it was uh, it said with his broken teeth and large ears, Shane McGowan, who died, might have seemed like the most unlikely front man of a pop group, but with his broken teeth and large ears that's very the lead. words in the, yeah I just I don't know gen- journalism as a whole now it just seems like it's really in the gutter
0: there's there's a certain snarkiness to it it's 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 the. It's the Andrew Dice Clay effect. You remember when he was hot as a comic, where he was so incredibly profane, or Howard Stern. You know when he was on WNBC radio in New York, everything. You know he was he was a shock jock. Now, if you listen to Howard Stern, Howard Stern is one of the best interviewers oh, without ever, him. Without him. because he's he's given up all all the, all the shock stuff, and he just does a great job of, of, of interviewing people. But the problem is you're right. Number one, journalism is all about getting clicks. We're going to say something so crazy that you have to click on it. And you look at the Associated Press Writers Guild, they are just, you know, the AP is trying to strangle them by not giving them what they deserve in terms of financial compensation and benefits. Journalism is a craft. Journalism is something that you want to get better at each and every day. And you want to be a good reporter and you want to find new insights and you want to be able to be a better writer tomorrow than you were today. And I I think there are some people that just throw stuff at the wall and and you just want to see what sticks. And there is an element, but there's also that, that lack of civility. That lack of civility is now spilled over into the media. Where, you know, no punches are pulled, uh, the gloves come off, and I'm going to say whatever I want because it's top of mind for me and I really don't care what you think. Don't
1: you think that's sort of the, not that they, I don't know if they exist anymore, but like I used to call it the message board mentality. Maybe it's like the Twitter or the X mentality now. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of seeped into sort of mainstream journalism. Even you look at like Howard Stern, you know what you're getting with him. Right. Or Andrew Dice Clay. They're not Mm -hmm. journalists, but you, you kind of, I get what you're saying. There's a lack of decorum and civility all the way around, I think, in society now. Mm-hmm. But you expect more in journalism. I, or Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm fraught for disappointment. We try to hold them to a higher
0: standard. Well, we do hold them to a higher standard because journalists, I mean, we grew up with journalists that were gods. You know, Woodward and Bernstein and, you know, um, Red Smith in the sports pages and, and people and Jim Murray, who was a f- fantastic syndicated sports columnists we grew up with them because they were there and they were great reporters and they were great interviewers and they were fantastic wordsmiths and what's happening now and and they were revered because newspapers i mean man you'd get the new york times the washington post the la times you'd want it all on your on your front doorstep if you could so that you could get a a sense of what's going on in the world because it was the only we had three television networks and major newspapers and that was how you got your news there wasn't anything else there was no internet there was no X there was no Twitter there was no Facebook there was no Instagram there was none of this other stuff that was how you got your information and so with that there came a greater responsibility to get it right because there were so few outlets for the media and because these people took their careers and their crafts very very seriously they were right with their facts, they were insightful. And now, if you get into journalism, you're barely paid a living wage. Well, then you have these other
1: people who aren't really journalists, they didn't go to school for it, they're not trained, but they have it in their bio, and some of them, I guess, eke a meager existence, calling themselves a journalist. There's some that, you know, follow the Grizzlies, or cover is kind of a strong word, I don't really think they cover. Or some of them that, you know, say that they're journalists of the Memphis Tigers. They're not real journalists. Maybe Gary has a point. Maybe we're not real podcasters. We're enjoying <laughs> it, right? But the difference is there's a big difference. It's like when blogging came out, I'm sure. Who wants to be a blogger? Right.
0: That, that there's that a little b-
1: difference between being a podcaster and a journalist.
0: Yeah. There is. There is. But I feel for myself... A certain responsibility that when we do sit down and we do have this gab fest, that we have something meaningful to say. I mean, we we joke that it's the podcast about everything and nothing, but we want there to be some serious content in here, and and hopefully it doesn't come off as being negative all the time or or two old grumpy men. I I would like to, I would prefer that we be two insightful, mature men. But you know,
1: you (laughs) know where I got that line, everything and nothing. The Mm -hmm. psychedelic furs, the band from the Mm eighties, had this great album. I think it was called. Everything and nothing or nothing at all. But uh, I just felt like, and it's kind of a takeoff on Seinfeld as well. this show about nothing. But putting the platform together for this podcast, we actually put a little bit of thought into it. Mm -hmm. On the surface, I'm sure it seems like it's just two guys kvetching and griping and talking. But um, we know enough people, well-known people, athletes, leaders, whoever, famous people. We could do interviews. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also think the the art of conversation and long form programming like this is a thing of the past. It with is with our ever shortening attention span in society.
0: Yeah, so. that that's the one thing that I always wish, from a personal perspective, for me is I would love to do longer interviews with our players and our coaches. I I find that stuff fascinating, and I. We had a, a, a season ticket holder event before the season started and I sat down with Taylor Jenkins I first thing I said to him I said man this is great I get to talk to you for 15 minutes instead of 90 seconds and 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 it, it, it is true there everything is so short form and to circle back to Sports Illustrated what was the best part about Sports Illustrated It was the last story in the magazine and it was long form and you really got some detail and you really got to know a player. Or you got to know the backstory of a game or a situation or whatever.
1: That was the best for you. For me, it was the annual swimsuit edition. Whew! That thing was, man, <laughs> Christy Brinkley, teenage, baby, teenage,
0: <laughs> woo, lordy. That wasn't journalism, but it was. Like, I mean, it was great. Whatever it was, was, it was. But it was. It was great fun. Um, Long
1: before the internets, and we, you know, kids don't know how lucky they have it these days.
0: Yeah, yeah. They you, can
1: certain. They can see half naked or naked. Women at the touch of their face We used to have to work for that stuff.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to hide it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the thing that bothers me about Threads is now you get. I get more more bots. And, and so
1: you're on. You're still on Threads. I'm on. I'm that on. Wasn't just an experiment when I'm
0: on. I'm on Threads, but you know, I don't. I don't post as often, and I don't think Threads has a desktop app. You've got to do it on your phone. And so, if I want to do like a tune-in announcement for a game, I've got to type one up on Twitter. Then I got to type one up on Threads. But what I'm finding with Threads, and actually with Twitter too, and I thought Elon was going to get rid of all the bots, I'm getting bots. I'm getting. Fi- Elon is a
1: bot. Well, or something.
0: That's a, that's another story for another time. Uh, all right, we need to get to a mindful moment before this degenerates into something.
1: So you were talking about Florida State football earlier, right. and I, mm-hmm. I mentioned Brock Glenn. Right was one of our illustrious students at Lausanne, our quarterback, really good. He was one of these players, I work with their entire football team when I'm in town and obviously they're in season. He really bought into the mental game, the mental side of things. And you could tell by the way that he played. Imagine the pressure that he had the other night in the ACC championship game. So much riding, high stakes. He's the third string quarterback. The other two are hurt, they're out expectations for him were really low. Look at the way that he handled the pressure. I think he played really well. He didn't maybe play a perfect game, but he wasn't expecting to. Mm -hmm. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Is Brock the most talented quarterback in the country? I don't know. But what Brock has are these two intangible qualities that he's really cultivated over the years that I think are the X factors, not just for athletes, but any performer in any platform, and those are confidence and the way in which you respond to adversity. He has mastered his craft from a mental perspective by working on those two things. And I think you know that's good for all of us. You cannot replace confidence or the way that you act when things don't go the way that you intended them to go. Mm-hmm. And I think from a mindfulness perspective, having confidence in your abilities, but also having the self-awareness in, I don't want to say your weak areas, but areas that need more improvement, playing upon your strengths, and then always responding in a positive manner when things don't go well. Make all the difference in the world. And I think of, you know, I'm a sucker for cheesy sports movies, Pete. (laughs) All the Rocky movies. Mm -hmm. I don't remember which one this was. Michael Zellner would probably know. He's a big Rocky fan. There's that one movie where Rocky just keeps getting hit hard by Apollo Creed.
0: That's like like the first three movies.
1: Yeah, but he stands up in this particular part, and Creed just shakes his head in disbelief because he keeps getting up. Well, in the real world, a referee in boxing is going to stop after the third knockdown, Mm -hmm. probably. But it's not how many times you get knocked down how many times that you can stand back up. That's what responding to adversity is all about and being in the moment and being mindful about it. And I want to commend Brock on how well he did and how he's practiced these mental skills over the years. And uh, kudos.
0: Yeah. Well, the whole thing about dealing with adversity, and I, I think where some people really kind of lose it in that regard is adversity hits and you start to panic. And in that panic mode, nothing gets accomplished.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And there are those people that cultivate the opposite of what we want, a learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. They've been knocked down so many times and they don't stand backed up through no fault of their own. Um, it's easier for them just to quit and throw the talent every time instead of even putting themselves out there and risking
0: failure. Right.
1: Failure is such an important teacher for us. When I was a principal for a dozen years at Lausanne, I would tell first time middle school parents coming into our school, grades, they start really getting graded in middle school. Not that grades count. That's the worst secret in the world. Every kid knows middle school grades don't count. They start meaning something in high school. However, I would say let your child fail and then let them pick themselves up and learn how to respond to that adversity. I would say if you swoop in every time as a helicopter parent, you're enabling them eventually to the point of learned helplessness where they could never do something like what Brock Glenn did the other night Mm -hmm. on that football field. Let them struggle.
0: It's good for them. Yeah, and the other thing, too, off the the notion of failure, my cousin used to work at Boeing before he retired, and Boeing always had something. They would say, fail forward. Fail forward. But keep going forward, and if you're failing, it means that you're trying something. So if you're going to fail, fail forward. Don't have this learned helplessness, like, well, we can't, we can't solve this particular engineering problem. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm totally on board with that. This this kind of flows into it, and as you know, I am a big fan of Ryan Holiday and the Daily Stoic, and uh, listen to the podcast pretty much every day. And I was just reading today's meditation and the Daily Stoic. By the way, if I think this is I think it's a it's a great book and it's 366 accounting for a leap year meditations on wisdom perseverance and the art of living and there's a meditation from one of the great stoic philosophers every single day and so then, there's
1: usually three right not to interrupt but there's
0: like Seneca um, Epictetus Marcus and Marcus Aurelius yeah, those yeah, are those are the yeah. three that he, he really draws on and when, he, when you get to the month of December, the, the theme is you know, you're coming to the end of the year and a reminder that you are coming to the end of your life. I mean, all of us are one day closer to our grave than we are to, uh, to the cradle. But here, this is for today, which we're recording on when, uh, Thursday, December the 7th. And the meditation is from Marcus Aurelius. Think of the life you have lived until now as over, as a dead man, See what's left as a bonus and live it according to nature. Love the hand that fate deals you and play it as your own for what could be more fitting. And then Ron goes on with his meditation. We have an irrational fear of acknowledging our own mortality. We avoid thinking about it because we think it will be depressing. In fact, reflecting on mortality often has the opposite effect, invigorating us more than saddening us. Why? Because it gives us clarity. If you were suddenly told... You had but a week to live. What changes would you make if you died but were resuscitated? How different would your perspective be? When, as Shakespeare's Prospero puts it, every third thought shall be my grave. There's no risk of getting caught up in petty matters or distractions. Instead of denying our fear of death, let it make us the best people we can be today. And I think that's that's kind of interesting. You think of the, the prior, you know, 59 years and how many every days. Okay, that, that's gone. That's done. It's over with. Every day you wake up is a bonus. Yes. And Every day
1: above ground, my dad used to say, "Exactly, a good day."
0: So, what what are you going to do with it? And I think that's a that's a good thought to carry forward. So,
1: they were all aboard, you know, the Stoics about taking risk as well. There's this term now called safetyism, where we all try and swoop in and protect the ones that we love so much and sort of insulate them from any perceived pain or suffering. We think we're doing this out of love or compassion, but in a lot of ways, it It enables them, Mm -hmm. and it sort of stops their forward motion. Think about it like on college campuses, safetyism, you know, these bubbles, safe spaces. All That's good. It's good that we have that theory or concept of it's safe here, and we're going to respect each other, but it can go overboard as
0: well. Yeah, exactly. Well, and one of my all-time favorite quotes is John G. Shedd once said, a ship is safest in the harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. I like that. That's, that, I'm that's, gonna steal that. My go, next keynote. I'm gonna, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Write right write that thing down. Yeah. That that to me is that's one of my all time favorite quotes because I think it expresses a philosophy of life in like one sentence. What was that
1: other one? Like a, a good sailor was never made in still waters or something like that. Something like
0: that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, or there's the old Latin phrase "ad asper." Um, oh. God, I can't remember, Ad Aspera. Uh, Showing off your Notre Dame <laughs> education now, Mr. Pranica. No, At Astra Per Aspera, to the stars with difficulty. I like it. Which I think is one of, one of the mottos, official or otherwise, of NASA.
1: Can I, before we pivot to what's going on, I want to give a quick shout out to, to a team that I work with and two teams, two programs that I really respect and, mm-hmm. and love dearly. Last night, I watched on ESPN+, Plus, a team that I'm currently working with, the University of Memphis Tiger basketball team. Played VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, in Richmond, Virginia, a, a program I've worked with several times, and I'll probably, hopefully, be back in the future. It was a great team, great program. They're kind of under a rebuilding year with a new coach. Memphis won in overtime. But I just wanted to give them both a shout-out. One, to Memphis. Didn't play their best game. And to Coach Hardaway, uh, they found a way to win when they didn't play well. And two, to VCU for just giving them such a, a great game. So, shout-out to those guys. And Ed McLaughlin, the the AD at VCU, who does
0: such a great job. Great. Then uh, did you work with Vince Williams when he was at VCU? Did not. Did not. Okay, because Vince not. Williams is now – with the Memphis Grizzlies and, and making an there impact. There was another
1: one a couple years ago. I didn't work with him either that was with the Grizzlies. Do you remember um, uh, VCU guy? Top of my head, I,
0: I don't. Have, I, I'm going to blame it up. on
1: this Scotch Ale. I can't remember who it was. But, uh,
0: <laughs> all right, so what, what do you got next? Are you, you doing some traveling? I'm all back? over the place, so we probably won't have an episode
1: next week. Unfortunately, some people might be happy about that. Yeah, enough. quell the cheers back there, listener. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be – I'm going to McNeese State University to work with the basketball team. It'll be my guy, Will Wades, back from suspension after 10 games. Mm -hmm. One of my dearest friends. Uh, I think we're going to be in New York City for a few days. And then I'm going to go to upstate New York and work with Siena College basketball. And then the following week, I'll be a couple days uh, in the Carolinas working with Gardner-Webb basketball. So where's Gardner-Webb located? I knew you were going to ask me that somewhere in the Carolinas. You can do it. You, did you already ask me that? Is that why? No, 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 no. You're no, tricking no. me.
0: No, no. I, I've, I've heard it's of weird. the school. I, I just I coached, have no idea. I didn't even know. I didn't even know it was in the Carolinas. Thirty something
1: years ago, I coached against their soccer team. I should know it. I know I fly into Charlotte and they pick me up, so it's only one flight. Okay, that, so that's good. Yeah, I'll well, know
0: next time, listener. I'll know that. Okay, and we'll, we'll we'll find out how well American Airlines does with you. Oh, wow. <laughs> you just jinxed it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Enjoy
1: your private jet with the Grizzlies, and I'll, you know, I want to hear how tough it is about you flying all around. We stayed in Beverly Hills. The hotel was rough.
0: The Ritz-Carlton. We have become such prima donnas. Now, for those of you who, who don't, don't know, and you probably wouldn't unless you're in the NBA, Delta has like 12 757s that they have refitted with only 75 seats. Because of these guys are so tall. Is that the Yeah, pretty much. Uh and it it's they call it their VIP configuration. And Delta has chartered like when Paul McCartney did his tour years ago, they just chartered what uh, whatever Delta had in, in service at the time. And so what they've done is, yeah, it's it's seventy five seats and when you get to the back of the bus, which is where we sit, I think there are like maybe twelve rows of four abreast first class seating. So there's there's leg room, nice wide leather seats. It's very very enjoyable who do you sit by usually I sit next to Tom Hewitt our director and um
1: look at you kissing up I like it no I just got, I, that's, that's, what I got that's what I got so
0: I got I got a sign there but what happened you No, know, you got
1: sign seats huh? oh yeah oh yeah really yeah so because, the players even have a yeah, seats? yeah absolutely what's the logic behind that I'm not knocking it I'm just curious
0: because the plane is totally full
1: and you got to balance the plane is it one of those deals or
0: No, they they just – they basic well, because you have certain people that you want to keep together. So you keep the training staff people together, the video staff people together. So the players have assigned seats, though. Yeah.
1: Job, what if he wanted to sit by someone else?
0: Well, they can switch once they get in the air. I mean, and I don't know. I'm never up there when they're sitting there. So maybe they do change around. I don't know. But because there are tables so that they can sit and watch video and whatever. In any any event, back to my story. We're such prima donnas that – so with the NBA in-season tournament – because if you didn't make the knockout rounds, twenty-two teams didn't make the knockout rounds. So that meant that there were eleven games last night, I think, and there'll be eleven games on Friday night, while the knockout rounds are taking place in Las Vegas. Well, if you've got to move eleven teams, and, and if all the planes, maybe some of them aren't service, some may be chartered somewhere else, and because we didn't know we were going to Detroit until like a week ago uh we ended up with a different plane but it was a plane pulled from regular commercial service oh wow the horror yeah i can't wow but i had a whole row to myself so that was so that was good <laughs> yeah we 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 we've become horribly horribly spoiled and, and always really nice hotels like Ritz Carlton type yeah yeah Ritz Carlton four seasons it's i mean it's actually it's actually in the player's contract that it has to be four star or above really yeah
1: Sounds like my wife
0: wrote up that contract for me. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So we stayed at the uh, Weston Book Cadillac in downtown Detroit. And that would be like, and, which, which is a perfectly nice hotel in downtown. It's historicest historic hotel in downtown Detroit. Perfectly fine. But, yeah, I mean, everything is, it's Ritz-Carlton, Rich, Rich Four Seasons, St. Regis. Um, you don't work with the University of Houston. Oh, you work with Rice. I do work with Rice. Stay at the Post Oak sometime.
1: I don't get to. You, do you think I get a say-so? <laughs> they put me in some little dinky hotel. Ask, I don't know. Ask for
0: it. No, I don't.
1: It's, it's weird. I, you just hear noise all night and smell skunk weed. That's the type
0: of place where I stay. <laughs> well, we, need, we need to get you upgraded. We I mean, say to the Post Oak, and it, it's it's just ridiculously luxurious. And I'm walking out around the room trying to set it up with my computer and printer and, and everything and Wi-Fi there's like, there's no TV anywhere. There's a console in the middle of the room where there are, there are books scattered. Take and all you that. out
1: to figure that out. <laughs> so like, <laughs> gotta open the cabinet to see the TV.
0: No, I didn't have to open the cabinet. Oh,
1: you rang a bell and someone opened it. No, free.
0: I I pushed I pushed a button on the cabinet and the television raised up out of the cabinet. And
1: we're wondering why society is so dumb and lazy now. Right? I mean, jeez. I had to actually push a button. This is a, did you give him a bad review for that?
0: No, but just just the fact that it was hidden in this cabinet, that you had no idea where it was. And you're looking like, oh, there's no TV on the wall anywhere. You show up and the TV has your name on it, right? Where, oh, yeah, where, all where, the where, time, where, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a thing now. Yeah, it, it is a thing. Um, okay, what's next for me? Uh, Memphis is hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday. This was a game, again, that was a late ad. Because they only scheduled 80 games, and then it all depended on the in-season tournament. So the game was recently added. It's Friday night. It's at home. It's Minnesota. Uh, We're running a special $35 seats on the Plaza level, which is the lowest level at FedEx Forum, $10 at the Big River Steel Edge, which is upstairs. That's a huge discount from the normal pricing. We want to get people in there. It was very disappointing last night in Detroit. Uh, Very, very few people showed up at the game because, again, it was like a last-minute ad. Then, on the other hand, the Pistons had lost 17 in a row. So Ooh, that might have had something really? to do with it. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. Nas
1: Reed, shout out to him, by the way, one of my players. At the, From Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. great Former guy. Former LSU guy. We're yeah. with him
0: a lot. Uh, and, uh, as I said, I'm going to go see the importance of being earnest on Saturday night. Then on Sunday, big, big, big deal. oh I'm going to return to ringside. Wrestling is back. Rest, well, wrestling, it never really never really went away. But, but yeah, Memphis Championship Wrestling, Dustin Starr's promotion. Uh, they're going to be doing a taping on Sunday. And he's always had the invitation, and I've done it several times before, to work with him and Terrence Ward on the commentary. And uh, I said, give me the dates, you know, through the next six months. And, of course, every date, with the exception of this Sunday, was during a Grizzlies road game where I was going to be on the road. And uh, yeah, do uh, they tape
1: several episodes at once? They tape
0: the three. Wow, they tape three all at once. It's the Grind City Rumble. Uh, I think they'll be taping the Christmas special also on Sunday. You're not going to get punched or body slammed. They know no. about your back, right? No, don't wanna... no, no. They they know about my back. I do take a fair amount of verbal abuse, however.
1: I, I might have to tune in for this. You might. You so might
0: have to. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can see it on WMC. Uh, on Saturdays, and uh, then they replay everything, or, or then it lives on uh, lives on YouTube. So, gonna be doing that, and it, it, it's it's always it's always a lot of fun.
1: Memphis wrestling heritage is unbelievable. If you, the old days of mm-hmm. wrestling on Channel Five, and I think it was Channel Thirteen before that, mm-hmm. with Dave Brown mm-hmm. and, and Lance Russell, mm-hmm. Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee,
0: all these guys. Yeah, the golden years. So looking forward to that. So. Uh, That is a wrap for episode 17 of Live a Little, this crazy little podcast about everything and nothing, which comes to you from the studios at the World Galactic Headquarters of Pranica Media. We are available on all podcasting platforms. Oh, by the way, dear listeners, you could do us a massive, massive favor. You could leave us a rating and or a review. The more reviews we get, the higher we go in the algorithms, the easier it is for people to find us and we can build a listenership. Would really appreciate that. We can make more people mad about the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. We irritate people. He's Greg Gray Brown, Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening. Live a little, episode 17. Hope you enjoyed it.